Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Good evening. Uh, my name is Art Schneider, and uh, this is my life story. Um, I grew up in church. I was uh, luckily blessed to uh, be raised by parents who loved the Lord, who, who knew that uh, uh, taking the family to church was an important thing, and so that's what we did. I, I went to Sunday school, I went to the camps, I knew all the songs, and uh, I had everybody fooled. Um, when I was 16, uh, I was involved with a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have been involved with, and I knew better. You know, growing up at church, you hear the, the, the messages, and you, you feel God tugging at your heart, but I was, I was not going to have any of that. I just thought, hey, I come to church with mom and dad, everything should be good, but I got to a point where I realized that it wasn't enough. I got to a point where I realized that my uneasiness, the uneasiness that I had going on in my heart, wasn't being helped uh, by going to church with my mom and dad. And so I had to make it a decision that was genuine. I had to step from behind my mom and dad. I had to step out of my upbringing. I had to step out from behind my church and just surrender to God, which is what I did. I said, Lord, if you want me, you got me. And, uh, and he came into my life in a way that was personal, that was, that was genuine, that was mine. And I'd be lying if I said since then my life has been easy. Uh, it's been hard. Uh, it's been difficult, but God is good. And, and that's where I'm at today. That's where I've been since I gave my life to the Lord, just pushing as hard as I could into what he had for me. Uh, I'm not a perfect person. I have my flaws, um, but my God is good. And so I just do what I can now to be a good father, to be a good husband, to be a good friend, not for my glory, but for his. Thank you. I like that music. I'm like, play that again, man. That was cool. I should, like, come out with big hair and, like, a Metallica shirt on, you know, and, like, yeah, you know, be awesome. Maybe next week. Maybe I'll do that next week. How are you guys? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? Um, they'll get that figured out. There's some kind of funky signal. Maybe some of you guys have your cell phone set or something to some weird thing. I'm going to blame you guys. Um, just kidding. They'll figure it out. But you guys doing well? You guys doing good? Yeah? All right. We got some energy. We got some energy. Saturday night's growing, baby. We're starting to pull the ropes back. We're giving you a little more elbow room. Okay, so you can be thankful for that. We crammed you in like sardines for a while because we didn't want it to feel dead in here, but now it's starting to grow, so we're, we're taking a chance. We're like, let's not bring the ropes down as much and because um, we know people are going to be bringing their friends and we're going to be growing and we don't want you to feel like it's, you know, you're trapped. So um, we're pulling the ropes back, but if we do that, it's because we know we want you guys to be inviting people and we want to blow the doors off this place Saturday night because our goal is to, to get just two Saturday night services. And that's really important. Because if we do that, then that'll allow those of you guys uh, who've got off the bench, right, to be able to, to attend a service and also serve in a ministry. And you can do it all Saturday night as opposed to coming back Sunday morning. So you could take care of everything Saturday night and stay out till 3 a.m. Saturday night and sleep in Sunday. You don't have to feel guilty. And it's just great. And uh, so that's where we're headed. So just keep that in mind, and then at some point, as God blesses, uh, we will be seeing what we can do with this vacant land that we have across the way. So we got plans, people, and we are excited. So remember when you were a kid, 
And I mean, this, ha- this happens in so many different scenarios, right? But it's a typical thing where, you know, you got a kid and, you know, he's got a little donut. And uh, maybe dad took him out to get a bunch of donuts. And so he took a few and he ate one. He ate another one. And then he got full. So he took the donut home. And he's going to save it for later, right? So he puts the, the, the donut in the refrigerator. And he's like, this is exciting. I'm going to have a donut later on when I get hungry again. But I didn't want to eat it. But I don't want to throw it away, right? And so he saves the donut. And then the little brother comes up, opens the refrigerator, goes, oh, there's a donut. Right? And you know what the whole thought process is like, yeah, this is my brother's donut, but it looks so good, and, you know, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Right? The whole thought process. So he takes the donut, and he eats the donut. And then later on, the brother opens, the older brother opens the refrigerator, sees that the donut is gone, and he accuses his little brother and says, you ate my donut. And the little brother says, no, I, I, I did not. And he says, no, I know you did. He says, no, I promise I promise I did not eat your donut. Now, when you say promise, it's a big deal because we, and they might even say, swear, I swear, I did not eat your donut. So when we do that, when we say words like promise and swear, we're appealing to something to say, listen, there's nothing higher I can say. There's nothing more I can do to prove to you that I did not do this. But when you're a kid, And these kinds of things would happen. If you look closely, oftentimes the kid saying he promises has got one hand behind his back. And what is he doing? He's got his fingers crossed. Right? He's going, no, 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 I'm telling you, I promise, 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 hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, whatever. But he's got, and you don't, if you look closely, you don't realize he's got his fingers crossed. Then the older brother finds out, you did eat my donut. You lied. And the little brother says, no, 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 no. I didn't lie. I said I promised, but I have my fingers crossed, thus nullifying my words. Not that the little kid would have that developed of a vocabulary, but in essence, that's what their kid's trying to say. You know this is true because it happened when you were a kid. You probably did it, okay? You said, I promise and then you had your fingers crossed so as to be able to lie but not feel bad about lying because you had something behind your back. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to the marriage commitment, for many of us, when we went to the altar, either you or your spouse recited your vows to one another before family and friends and before God, but in your own way, you had your fingers crossed. Meaning, maybe not literally, because that would be really weird. In fact, did you see the, the Truman Show, the movie The Truman Show, when Truman starts to find out that his whole life is a sham and he's looking through his wedding pictures and he realizes his wife it has her fingers crossed, you know, at the altar? And so he realizes, oh my gosh, this is terrible. There's something really wrong here. But you wouldn't maybe literally cross your fingers at your wedding ceremony. But when you were at this ceremony and you made this commitment, there was some kind of escape clause in your head. Some sort of limit. Yes, I will give myself fully and completely, exclusively to you until death do us part for the rest of my life. But if the spark is gone, if things don't go the way that we planned, if you change and we don't 
feel like we're going the same direction, then guess what? The deal's off. The deal's off. And what you knew at seven years old is what you know at 27 and 57 and 87. You know that this is not a real promise. This is not a real promise. And yet, I want to talk to you today about promises. But I want to change the language a little bit, and I want to introduce a word to you that we don't use in our vocabulary very much, but we're going to need to if we're going to understand what God has to say to us today. The word that I want to use instead of the word promise is actually a stronger word, and it's called covenant. Covenant. It has all the force of a promise, but it goes even deeper to the level of a contract, a binding contract. You could call it a promise with accountability. That when a covenant is made, it is so strong that not only is it trusted to be kept, but were it to be broken, the party who breaks it has some sort of consequence. So the understanding of a covenant is really one step more than even a promise. And so we're starting a new series today. You might want to tell Dave. It starts today. He was gone last week, but he's been here all week. Um, We love him. Uh, It's called Ringleaders, Unleashing the Power of Commitment. And rather than simply start by telling you how to have a good marriage and, you know, like the typical kind of stuff that we do, I wanted us to kind of just start with very fundamental principles and figure out what marriage is in the first place, what makes marriage a marriage, so we can figure out even what it is. So whether you're a single person today, whether you're married or post-married, um, you're maybe divorced or maybe you're hoping to get married someday, wherever you are, this is not something that if you're not a married person, you can't apply this. No, absolutely not. In fact, if you're not a married person, this may be one of the best things you could ever hear because as you go forward into this issue in your life, you will have a greater clarity as to what it is you're actually going to be doing in the future. Because I would say this, at its core, marriage is a covenant that, catch this, is designed to imitate God's covenant with us. Think about that. Marriage at its core is a covenant relationship whose very design, whose very purpose is to be a physical, outward manifestation of God's covenant and promise with us so that when two people get married, the man and the woman, the intent, and we all know it doesn't always work out this way, and we'll talk about that, but the intent is that it would model the strength of the covenant that God has made with us. You gotta let that sink in. There's some very, there's some gravity to that understanding. Because God is a covenant God. He is a God who makes promises and never ever breaks them no matter what. So when you understand the power of a covenant, you see that a covenant changes everything. And so I want to answer this question very simply in our time today. How can I capture the power of a covenant in my marriage? What, a, what The whole concept of a covenant, how do I capture the power of that? And you have a little note card, you can take notes um, If you want, in your program, there's a little blank card for you just to write whatever you want to write there. But there's two concepts I want to give you. Just two. 
The first thing we have to do is if we want to capture the power of a covenant is we have to consider God's covenant with us. Because when I say what is, if, if I say that the whole purpose of marriage, that you will find fulfillment in marriage, that you will find joy, that you will find an unbelievable sense of security and purpose in life and meaning in life through your marriage, if you understand it as an outward expression of God's covenant with us, we have to first understand what is God's covenant with us. And God's made several covenants over time with us, and if we understand them, it will help us. One picture, this is very interesting, we've, I've never, actually I don't think I've ever preached on this passage before in all my 20 years of preaching, uh, 20 plus years of preaching. In Genesis chapter 15, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, and there's a, a guy named Abraham that God had basically called. Most of us, if you've been out in church for a while, you know the the guy, Abraham, who's often called Father Abraham, he was the father of the Israelite nation. One of the first guys that God called out of, of, of his family to establish a new family. And when God called him, he said, I'm going to make a covenant to you. I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to give you children, and your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. In other words, you're going to have this massive nation that you can't even count how many people you're going to have, which was a big deal at the time because Abraham didn't have any children at the time and he couldn't have children. And he was like, you know, they, they were, his, him and his wife were getting old and they said, uh, you know, this is ridiculous and, and they trusted God. But, it, but the whole point is God says, I'm going to do something through you and I'm going to bless you. And Abraham was stepping back and going, wow, this is crazy. And, he, and, and the Bible says he believed God, but he kind of wanted to, to see something. He kind of wanted to understand a little bit more. So in Genesis chapter 15, verse 8, a very strange thing happens. It says, but he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Meaning the land and all the blessings that you're going to give. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, I'm not going to get into why all those particular animals were chosen or why they were three years old. That's not important. What's important is God told him to do it. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half, fortunately for the birds. Then it gets even stranger, skipping down to verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces, these animal pieces on the ground. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and it goes on and on and on. So you have this fire pot and this flaming torch that's passing back and forth between these pieces of these animals that were, were laid down on the ground. And Abraham sees this. It's called a theophany. It's when God kind of appears in, a, in, a, in an object this way. And the whole reason, the symbolism, the message that Abraham was to understand was that God was saying, I am making a promise to you that what I'm telling you is so true, you can bank on it so much, that were I to break this, may I become like these animals. May I cease to be God. May my glory be taken away. May, may, may I change, all, even though God is unchangeable, may I change and become lesser. May, may I cease to be who I am if I break this promise to you. That's crazy. That's how strong God's covenant and promise was. You can count on this. This will happen. In fact, in the New Testament, in Hebrews, it's picked up even more. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself on his own glory and honor. You see? He swore to himself because there's nothing higher you could swear to. 
This is one of the reasons when people say, I swear to God. When, when people say that, it, in, in the, historically speaking, according to like the Westminster Confession, you need to be very careful about that because that what you're basically saying is, like if you were you know, hanging out with somebody and you're like, I swear to God, if you take one more of my, my french fries, I'm going to punch you in the face. If they take one or more of your french fries, you better punch them in the face. You, it's very, throughout church history, it was a very serious thing to utter those words because of the glory of God. God swears by himself. And if you swear by God, that, that's, a, that's a serious thing. Because God is holy. Now that's a very dramatic picture, but there's several other covenants that God made with his people as well. Two I want to highlight very briefly for you so you understand the, the seriousness of, of this concept of a covenant God. A God who makes promises and always keeps them. The first is the covenant of what you might call the covenant of works. And the second is the covenant of grace. The covenant of works basically work like this. God said, and there's other covenants, but these are just two that I want to just focus on. The covenant of works at creation, God said, look, Adam and Eve, I've created you for my purposes, to worship me, to know me, and everything else. Obey me, and you'll live. Disobey me, i.e., eat the fruit of the tree, and you'll die. Now, we all know how that turned out. It took, you know, however long, not very long, and just, you know, the serpent and everything else, and Eve and Adam and whatever, and they ate the fruit, and boom. So you'd think, all right, well, they should die. And they should. But they didn't. Why not? Was God going back on the covenant of works to say, listen, I, I, you can eat any fruit of the tree, but if you eat this one, you will die. Why did they not die at that particular moment? And it wasn't because God was breaking his covenant. What God decided to do at that point was enact a fulfillment of that covenant of works in a very creative way. Meaning from that point on in Genesis chapter 3, God decided that he would fulfill the covenant But rather than having the first Adam do it, he would have the second Adam do it, which would be known as Jesus. Which is why the sacrificial system, all of the Old Testament, is begin a forward-facing picture of to to tell people to expect that this covenant of works, humanity was created and designed to live in perfect obedience to God or face death, eternal separation, physical death, all that kind of stuff. And there's no way anyone could do it except for one. And so all the sacrifices, all the Old Testament, all the craziness that you read about in Leviticus, all that was to create a culture to prepare people to understand that a man would come who would fulfill perfectly the law of God set out at the very beginning in the covenant of works. So God never broke his promise. He just, he actually fulfilled his promise himself in the person of Jesus. That is the covenant of of works. In fact, look what it says in Romans chapter 5. For as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. What does that mean? By the one man's sin, Adam, who sinned, we all inherit sin. Just like a bad gene, right? You know, your grandpa had a little, you know, funky thing on his head or whatever, and you got one too. It's just you inherited it, right? Whatever the case is, you know, we all inherited sin. So just as sin came down from one person, so righteousness comes down from the second man. The second man is known as Jesus. So so the covenant of works was fulfilled, but not through Adam, through Jesus. But the the, the covenant of works. But then there's a second covenant called the covenant of grace. And the covenant of grace says, we all, by faith in the man who did everything right, we get 
His righteousness. We get His perfection. We can basically, what you might call vicariously, or through Him, as though we ourselves did it, we get grace. That's an amazing thing. So there's a covenant of works that we could not fulfill, but God in His grace. In fact, I love how R.C. Sproul puts it. He says, The personal obedience of Christ is accepted as a substitute for our personal obedience. And this is what makes the covenant of grace so gracious. And so you, without a shadow of a doubt, as a believer, you do not have to worry about, what do I, do I have right standing with God? You do, but not because of you. Because of Jesus, who fulfilled perfectly the covenant of works, so that through him, by way of the covenant of grace, you would be made righteous. So you don't have to, it's not about you, it's about him. That's a beautiful picture, an amazing picture of the love of God and the strength of the promise of God. He makes promises and never breaks them. He made a covenant and never broke it. Never went back on it. In fact, he fulfilled it because of his love and his grace. That is how strong and how serious the concept of covenant is when it comes to God. Now, why is this so important? Because our marriages, whether you've made a covenant or whether whether you've entered marriage or not, is to imitate that same patience, that same love, that same strength, that same sense of of, um, finality that God's covenant has towards us. So be very careful before you enter a marriage. This explains why we do what we do at a wedding, by the way. A marriage is, is uh, where the covenant is formed and it's formed publicly before family and friends and before God. So you're, you're giving your whole self exclusively to the person. The whole thing is you show up and, and, and it's a beautiful thing. I just did one a week ago. And it's a beautiful thing because no matter where you are in the spectrum of believing in God or whatever, there's something transcendent and, and amazing. People kind of watch like they see something and if you do it right, if the wedding isn't just done by some you know, boring guy that you can't understand who just sits there and, oh, do you, you know. But when it's actually done with a sense of, like, passion and wonder, and people go, whoa, this is amazing. I mean, here she is, and she's kind of crying, and she's like, you know, she's committing right there to give her whole life to this guy, and he's giving his whole life to her. And it's, it's a wonder. It's an amazement. And we, we kind of, like, peer from the outside looking in going, this is so cool, and there's something mystical about it, almost as if we ourselves, we know that this is, it, it, it comes from somewhere else. Well, it does come from somewhere else. It's a picture of God's covenant with us. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves before we enter into marriage is do the people around us, in our community that know us and love us and have walked with us, do, 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 do they agree with what we're doing? You see, you know, the Bruno Mars song that's out there right now, what does it say, right? It's a beautiful night. We're looking for something dumb to do. Hey, baby, I think I want to marry you. Right? You heard that song. Come on, I hear it all the time in the car because I got three kids, you know. Don't say no, 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 no. Just say yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go, 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 go. Right? He's right. It's kind of a dumb idea. If you're like, we're looking for something dumb to do, let's just go get married. That's kind of dumb. 
So we got to be very careful before we, before we go into this because when we realize what it is. In fact, there's this crazy example of this in the Old Testament book of Hosea. This is the Old Testament. It's so cool. We have sanitized so much of the Bible like, because it's just, we make it something that's like, you know, PG for everybody. And we, you know, little Bible stories. We want to make sure we dumb it down for the kids and we don't want to say anything too, too graphic in church. Dude, there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. Have you ever read the book of Hosea? Man. Um, so, book of Hosea, this basically, the, God tells the prophet Hosea to, uh, God tells the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute whose name is Gomer, which is like the worst name in the world. Don't name your daughter Gomer. It's just bad on all occasions, right? All accounts. Marry this, marry a woman who's a prostitute so that all of Israel can see what they're doing to him. It's a picture, so every time she cheats on him because she's a prostitute, it's a picture of Israel cheating on God with other gods and giving their hearts away and not following him. And he's there as the faithful spouse. It literally says, look at this, in Hosea, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. That's crazy. You ever heard that before? The point of this was to tear Hosea's heart out and let all of Israel see that even though she was acting this way, God has a covenant of grace that started back in the garden and he's not going to give up on who he loves. The second way we capture the power of covenant in marriage is this. We have to consider God's covenant with us. And then secondly, we imitate God's covenant with us. So check out Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis. This mystery is profound, and yet I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So what is, he, what is Paul doing? He's intermingling that same metaphor. He's doing it again. He's taking the marriage that was established in the garden and applying it to Christ's love and commitment to his church. So once again, what is it a picture of? It's a picture of the covenant of love that God has made with us. This is extremely powerful. A linking and comparing of a husband's love to his wife and the wife's love of her husband. So, um, lately I've been traveling a couple places, and I've totally fallen in love with um, Uber and, and Lyft, or whenever I go anywhere. I mean, like, I, I just, I think it's the coolest thing. If you haven't taken an Uber anywhere, I mean, you get on the app, and you hit, hit the button, and a car shows up. It's the craziest thing. I'm not even, like, like you hit the button, and, and it'll say, like, one minute, and you're going, oh my gosh, you know, I've had to run, because I'm, I didn't mean it for to come this fast. And you get in, the car's clean, there's some normal, unmarked car, the guy's a normal guy, you know, for the most part, and, and uh, they just, they drive you where you want to go, and it's, you don't have to tip them, it's all done on, you know, all with your phone, it's, it's an amazing invention. So I was in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago, and I, I get it, uh, I have to get an Uber back to LAX, so I get in the car, and there's this dude driving me, and I always, I always like chatted up with him, you know, because I'm just, what are they going to do, right? They're making money from me, so I'm just going to ask him questions and talk to him and whatever else. So I always ask him about why they do it and how long they do, they do it full time and what do they do with their lives and who's, you know, what interesting people they picked up. And uh, 
So we're, we're talking, and he, and he finds out that I'm a pastor, and he's like, yeah, he says, you know, I grew up in church, but, you know, I, I did some bad things, and he says, I had to sit down for a while, um, which I didn't know. That means, like, go to prison. Um, so <laughs> I didn't know that. And apparently it was like 15 years he was in prison. I was like, wow, Uber hires all kinds of people. Um, I'm in a car with a dude that's just recently got out of prison, was there for 15 years. Um, but he's a super cool guy. You know, we were talking, and he says, you know, he says, I got my, I got my lady. And he's like, you know, I, I just, we just have all these problems because we just bought this house. And he's telling me a story. And uh, he says, we just got this house, and, you know, we're trying to fix it up and everything. But I just feel like, you know, I, I, when I was in jail, I, I would go days, and I didn't, wouldn't say a word. You know, it's just what you, but she's always asking me, like, tell me what's on your mind. And she always wants me to talk to her, and, like, I don't know what to say, you know. And, and then he's like, she's always wondering where, where I am and what I'm doing, and, and she's always wants to know, and I just feel like she just won't get off my back, you know. And, and I said, well, um, so why don't you marry her? And he's like, oh, man, I, you know, I don't know if I can do that, you know. <laughs> he's like, see, here's the problem. You know, he starts giving me this long thing, and I go, here's the, here's the thing, dude. I mean, I, you know, we're in the car driving. I said, here's the thing. I said, there's nothing keeping you with this woman. Nothing. And she knows that. And you guys have a house you're living in together. She wants to make a life with you. But you've given her nothing. Nothing. You've promised her nothing. Of course she's going to wonder, is today going to be the day that he walks out just like the last guy did? Just like the last guy did? Just like the last guy did? I said, I'm just going to tell you straight up, man, you got you to gotta have some courage. I may have used other words um, when I was talking to him. Um, <laughs> but it was just two of us in the car, you know, so. <laughs> but I said, you need to step up or you need to step out. Because you got, wh- what are you doing? You know, th- and, and when, when, you, when you make, see, here's the crazy thing. When you, when, you, when you take that step and you say, I'm going to make this promise, you don't realize you actually fall in love with her more. Because all of a sudden you realize, look at what I'm doing. It's kind of like, you, you know, when you buy flowers, guys, for your wife, you don't wait till you feel like you want to buy flowers and then you go buy flowers because you probably never buy flowers. You go, you know what, I'm going to go buy flowers. And when you buy her flowers, you get excited about who you're buying flowers for. Like, this is my wife. This is so cool. Like, she's going to love these. And, and, and you, your engagement, your engagement in that activity moves the feelings down the, the field more. You know, it, it creates the feelings. You can't wait for the feeling to be there. This is what I'm telling this guy. And, and, and we got out of the, as we get up to the terminal, I, I put my hand on, so I said, let me pray for you, man. And I prayed for him. And, uh, you know, he's probably like, the super job's kind of crazy. You never know who's going to show up, right? Um, but uh, this is what these people face when I get in the car. Because I, I do this, you know, I pray with everybody, but I always try to get into some kind of weird conversation with them. But here's the point, is, is I understood exactly, because this guy's story is, is multiplied thousands and thousands and thousands of times. I, I don't understand why we can't connect. You can't connect because you haven't committed. And you, have, you get your fingers crossed. If something goes wrong, I'm out of here. That is nothing. That is nothing. You have no relationship. If that is the basis of your relationship, even if you have a ring on your finger, but there's something in your, in your mind where you're doing this and you're putting it behind your back and going, okay, I'm happy now, but if she does this, I'm, I'm flying, man. If that's you, you have nothing. It's only a matter of time. 
Because we as human beings have this amazing ability to fail one another in ways we cannot anticipate beforehand. Contrast that with the power of covenant. Men, have you ever sat down with your wives and said, hey, honey, listen, I just want to tell you something. Um, my commitment to you is between me and him. Not between, I mean, I said it to you. But the commitment, don't take this the wrong way, but it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with you. You might change. You might, you might feel insecure about yourself. You might think that you're, you're not as pretty as you were, or, you know, whatever. But my commitment to you is not dependent upon the roller coaster of your life. My commitment to you is between me and him. So it's really not any of your business. It's our business. I love you because of, I told him I would, no matter what. Ladies, have you sat down with your husband and said, hey, honey, I just, just for what it's worth, I made a commitment to you in his eyes. I swear to God. I promised in front of his eyes that I would love you. You might put on a few pounds. You might be unemployed for a while. You might watch too much football once in a while. You might do some st stupid things I don't understand. You know, I don't know. Um, but I love you. And my commitment to you is between me and him. Do you know what that would do to a marriage if the, peop if the parties in the marriage explain that to one another? Especially if one has failed the other in some capacity. You're a human being. But I'm here to demonstrate to you the strength of covenant. See, we, we never got really down and dirty in that, did we? We just said, well, we do this thing at the wedding. And we live together and we got the joint bank account and we raise the kids and, you know, it, it's efficient because one person does this and one person does that and everything else. Whoa, baby, back up and look at the gravity of what you've done because the strength of your commitment says a lot about you and a lot about him. So in that case, you have incredible freedom to fight, to duke it out, not physically, you know, unless you're into that thing, you know, you wanna, you're like both boxers and you want to, you know, that's, that would be very weird to me. But you can fight. And you can say what you really mean to each other. You can say, listen, this is how I'm feeling. I, I, don't know, it's not, I know it's not right or good, but this is me. And you don't have to worry about the other person going, well, if you put it that way, I'm out of here. So you have freedom to be who you are because the other person's covenant rests not in what you do, but in the God that you believe in and who you're trying to model that commitment after. Man, that's powerful stuff. And it, again, it models God's very love for us. We go to God saying, God, I, I, I screwed up, but you know what? You love me not because of all the great things I can do. You love me because you, you created me and you showed that through your son. And I don't have to worry about getting everything right because he got it right. And I'm, I'm entering in through the covenant of grace. And all I want to do is live my life as a thank you to you. Do you see how that produces life? Do you see how that produces like a depth that the world doesn't even understand? That's why they kick marriage to the curb. That's why they think anybody can get married. Anybody can 
can do this. No, no, no. I, and and they, don't, they don't think it's a big deal because it's been, it's been hacked away at for so many years because we forgot what it was and what it was here to establish. Now, unfortunately, as a disclaimer, I have to say that the analogy does sometimes fail. And there are times that you do have to walk away from the covenant that you made. So every analogy, every metaphor, every picture breaks down from the original because that's the way that it is. And I only say this because we live in a broken and fallen world and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying because there's some of you that'll go, okay, I'll be there no matter what, anything. And you gotta be careful about that because there's a real world we live in. There's three things, I'm just gonna be super clear about this. There's three instances in which that it makes it very next to impossible for you to fulfill the covenant that you made to the other person, okay? There's three things that could happen in a marriage that make it virtually impossible for you to fulfill the covenant. Not impossible, but virtually impossible. Which can wreck the covenant. And they all start with A. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Now we don't have time to get into each one of these things, but these three, in these three circumstances, it's very hard to fulfill your vow if that's what the other person's doing. If they've taken off with someone else, or if they're romantically involved with someone, you, you can't do what you, what you were just, you, there may be a period of time where you, you will wait and invest, but at some point, it, it, there, there's no relationship anymore. And then some, sometimes we, there, there's been people who, who out, of, out of great concern and love for God, and I get that, and that's wonderful, um, but it, it can do so much damage to, to them and everything else that it's like, you know, at some point, you have to realize that this has been something that's tragically ended, and it wasn't necessarily your fault. Same thing with abandonment. If the person takes off and leaves you, you can't fulfill any marriage vows, then they're, they're gone. Doesn't mean that at the first sign of one of these things that you bail and go, oh good, they did this, the marriage is broken, you know, I'm gonna take advantage of the fact that they did this or that. No, no, no. You, you hang in there, but you all know what I'm talking about. There, there's a point, and I would never say that you should go into a home where you know you're just gonna be a, a, a whipping post or whatever. No, no. But that also doesn't mean that you, you run away at the first chance either. You know, the, 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 uh, what I've learned and as I'm getting older is over the decades, man, life, life human being over a, over a long life, there's all kinds of things. The Bible says we all stumble in many ways. But these are just things I use as disclaimers for those of you that are, that are maybe going to take this a little bit too far in a sense to, to your, in a way that's going to be really destructive to yourself. But I think hopefully you understand that for the vast majority of people, what we need to do is we need to be able to approach our spouse this way. And if we're not married, and whatever's happened in the past, man, God forgives all that stuff. You can't undo. If God wants you to be able to lift down your, your mistakes, he would, he would make your life like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Remember that movie where you can just go back to the, another time or, so, or back to the future and you could get in the little DeLorean and you can go back and you could undo things? You can't do that. So that's a sign that God says, I don't want you to worry about trying to fix the past. You can't do it. Jesus covers that. You just move on. So as you're moving on from here, you say, listen, any relationship I will get into that will result in a marriage, I'm going to understand that both me and that person are going to take this thing so seriously that we're going to make a covenant before God to God that we are going to be God's picture of God's covenant love to that other person for the rest of our lives. So our children, our neighbors, our family, our friends, our church, everyone can see the strength that can come when a person says, I love you and I'm not giving up on you. So there's th several responses I'm calling to you to, to uh, tonight. First, I want you to look at your commitment if you're married to your spouse, the way God looks at his commitment to us. 
But some of you have been thinking, you know what, maybe it's time for me to bail. Maybe it's time for me to split. You know, it's, the bark isn't there. You know, I'm in my 40s. I'm in my 50s. And, you know, my word, she's not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger. And, you know, and you're tempted just to split because that's what people do. And I want to challenge you. Go back and you read that book of Hosea. And you look at the strength and the pain that God put himself through for people he loved. And you consider that. Second, if you're not married but you want to be someday, use the covenant of love that God has given you as a benchmark for your future marriage. So if the person you start dating is not someone you're willing to love with that covenant love, then it's, it's real easy. I'm sorry, you're not the right person. Third, there are those of us in here, this message might be particularly painful because it brings up some stuff that you wish you had done differently. And I want you to hear this. As I said before, you can't change the past. But what you can do is you can rest in the fact that there's a God who sent Jesus to show us what love is. And we start there, you guys. We start there with forgiveness, with restoration, with healing. You can't unscramble. There's eggs we can't unscramble, guys. There, there's going to be life situations that are just too, too messy to try to undo. You can't undo it. That's okay. That's why this church is always going to be a place of grace. You can walk in here with your crud. No one's going to judge you. We all got it. But we have a wonderful and powerful God who's committed himself to us and asks us to start today, not yesterday, today, to believe it and to follow it. Finally, if you're not a Christian here today, you come in, you're just checking it out, you're not a believer. The first step for you is to accept this covenant of grace. To step in and say, God, I believe that you're the one who saved me. I believe that you're the one who rescued me because of your death on the cross as we talked about in communion. What is the blood, the new covenant in my blood? What does that mean? That a way is possible. A way is possible to be right with God through Jesus. You can't, you can't impress God with all your good works, but you can with a, with a repentant heart say, God, you know what? I, I believe you, and I want to follow you, and I love you, and I want to know you. So tell that to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if you would for just a minute. Just want to give you a minute between you and God. Tonight, if you're here and you're saying, you know, I want to embrace that covenant of grace that God has made. I want to enter that. Just say right where you are, say, God, I, I accept that. I want that. I receive that into my heart, the covenant of grace, that by Jesus I am saved by not of anything that I've done because I could never do it, but by what he has done, I am saved. And I'm forgiven. And I am free. In Psalms it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sin from us. And secondly, for those of us who maybe made that decision, but man, we're struggling. Would you tell God right now, you know what, God, I, I want to recommit. I want to recommit to my wife or my husband. Maybe married for two years, maybe 20 years. 
I want them to know that I love them not because of what they do for me, but I love them with the love that God has shown me. And I am committed to them with the commitment that God has shown me. And you go and tell them that. And for those of us who are not yet married, we're out, not, that's not a part of our life right now. As we look to the future, tell God, say, God, I'm going to honor this concept of marriage from this day forward with whoever you might bring along with that same commitment that you've made to me. That's what I pledge to you, God. God, as we close this service, we know that our culture is in desperate need of men and women who will love each other with the love that you showed us, who will have a covenant, binding, unbroken, with the way you have shown that to us. God, may this church and the people who attend it and the, and the, the area in which we live be a place that radiates through these relationships what covenant love looks like. Thank you, God, for the beautiful picture and the challenge that you've given us. In Christ's name. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.